Hi, I'm Eddie Pepitone, and you are listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Quick Impressions is a full-service commercial printer with pricing that competes with online wholesalers. The difference is their customer service. From business cards, envelopes, brochures, to mailers, presentation folders, DVD and CD packaging, carton signs to calendars, and I've used them for just about all of those things myself, including the galleys and bookmarks and signature plates for my own book, and custom-designed tissue boxes and notepads and labels for women who write. They've done it all. Um, and I ain't easy to please, as you well know, DJ. And they always blow me away. The quality of their work is stellar, and they're the nicest people ever. That's Quick Impressions. Hold the C. Quick. Q-U-I-K. Ask for Rick, but that does have a C. And then tell them that Vicky sent you, which also has a C. And they will love you up. You can find them at quickimpressions.com for all your printing needs. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Vicki. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, let's talk the truth. Instead of just, you know, when you meet somebody and you say, how you doing? And they say, I'm good. And, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, the barn is burning and they're out of money and, you know, somebody's sick. And pe- we don't like to burden people with our shit, I think, for the most part. I mean, some people love to unburden and, and to to complain. Well, it, it, it depends on how well you know the person. Because if you True. say to your mom, how are you doing? She's like, well, then, you know, it's your mom. So it's like, what's going on? Right. But if you're just like, you know, getting your groceries bagged, I don't. Uh... I agree. I agree, but 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 here on this platform, where we, on this show, uh, I've had a rough day, Vicky. Okay, there you go. That's what I'm going for. So I've had a rough. I I, I had yesterday was one of the roughest. Was a re, I mean, I've had a lot of rough days lately. My stepfather passed recently. I mean, there's been rough days, but this was a different kind of rough day. And I want to talk about yours because I have a feeling that we have similar, maybe different but similar things going on for me. Um, I had a confrontation with somebody that I have had in my life for many years and has been a, a, a big part of my life, an important part of my life. And um, it was really, really, really horrible. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in program. I'm in recovery. I don't fight. Um, I, I have learned to not fight. And if I do engage in battle, you know, it might be with my kids for a minute or two, but there's an immediate apology, immediate amends. You know, even my mother, if my buttons get pushed, like I, I stop pretty quick. Um, but with someone else, I don't fight, you know. But that said, my feelings do show on my face. So if somebody is coming at me, 
my face is going to show that I am not happy. I can't hide that. So I guess I I wasn't engaging back, but my face was showing it. But somebody uh, just really was horrible to me, condescending and nasty and mean in a very nice voice. And um, I took it for a few days, you know, on a few occasions. And finally, it was time yesterday to walk away. And it was really sad. It I was so sad all day. And, um, and at the same time that that was going on, a man that has been romancing the fuck out of me who's extraordinary just went MIA for for just went MIA and I've as you know been ghosted a number of times many times it's shocking how often and so I I really didn't think that that was going to happen with this gentleman and I was shocked and I was so between those two losses I was I I I, I was so wounded and I went to this fantastic Netflix event. Netflix knows how to throw a party like nobody I've ever seen. I took Samantha. We went to this comedy panel with Judd Apatow and Chase Chelsea Handler and Marta Kaufman and uh, Bill Burr. I mean, it was extraordinary. And they had a candy bar. I'm on this diet. I'm only eating protein. They had a candy bar. I mean, like Dylan's candy. I mean, like a full candy bar. They had open bar. They had people passing food around. They had every ex- they had an exhibit for every one of their shows, and they were interactive. So you could lift a refrigerator over your head. The Stranger Things one, the hands came and grabbed <laughs> you. You know, it was just like the coolest thing. So, and I could barely enjoy it because I was in my head. What about putting things in a box on a shelf? You know, and I did put the stuff on the box. I, I was really sad. I, I just... So I want to talk about your, I'm going to finish up with mine and then I want to talk about yours as much as you can. For me, what ended up happening was the person sent me an amends late last night. Um, And I was grateful to get it. And so now there doesn't have to be, you know, this horrible thing if we see each other and stuff. But I'm still really wound. I'm mortally wounded and um, hurt. Very, I'm just very, very hurt. And so... Today, the the gentleman showed back up, and um, I, a, a thing that, that Jeremy, uh, we, we talk about my life, co- my life coach, Jeremy, which still makes me laugh, um, uh, but um, he had my assignment this week. Um, I have a lot of things going on. You know, I have this show. I have Women Who Write. I'm, I'm writing a screenplay with a partner. I have my book that we're trying to turn into a that we're turning into TV. So I have a lot of things going on. And he has said to me from the beginning, you know, nobody can ride eight horses. And then that day, that first day, he, we gave me like four assignments to do. And I finished them in 15 minutes and sent him my list. And he goes, well, Vicky's the only person that could ride eight horses, right? But he's been trying to get me to focus, right? So I said, I can't. I, I have to do a Women Who Ride every month. I have to do my show every week. I have to work on this screenplay. I can't pick one. I mu- you know, this is what my life is. So he said, well, what if you take every horse while you're riding it and ride it as if it's your only horse that you're ever going to have in your whole life? And I kind of argued with him and I said, well, but wait, I didn't argue with him, but I said, wait, because I do, I'm very persistent and perseverant and I don't give up. You know, I do, I do do my best with everything. Ah, I said, it took me eight years to get Paula Poundstone in my living room. Therein lies the problem. I said, 
uh, he said, well, wh- what's the horse that you most want right now? And uh, so I said this particular thing and I said, well, I'm going to just wait till he like invites me because it's a guy and I don't want to be. And he was, I said, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, my favorite expression is if something's meant to be, nothing's going to stop it. And if it's not, nothing's going to make it happen. And he said, I love that idea, uh, that ideology, but I don't think it's serving you. I think, and since this is the road taken, by the way, I'm sharing my tools and I haven't forgotten about your issue. It, It all relates back, but This is a tool that I've gotten that has been so valuable to me since last Friday when I spoke to Jeremy. So he said, you know, ride every horse if it's the only one. I said, you mean with urgency and um, not waiting eight years to get Paula Poundstone? He goes, well, I don't like the word urgency. Let's just say passion. He said, if you go in to do something, go in and close it that day. Go in with the intention you are going to close it and you are not going to leave that meeting until you close that deal. And that seems really aggressive and pushy to me. And I, I'm a pretty strong, you know, ambitious, aggressive person, sort of. But I, I ask, and then I step back. And, I, and then I come back a month later or six months later, and I ask again, no, no. Jeremy's saying for me to change my stars and not just be in this place of not living my highest dreams, if I really want to manifest and do it now... I've got to see things through all the way at each opportunity. But you also have to read the room. Uh, Yes and no. Jeremy played both sides of the conversation for me with the thing that I want to manifest right now, my number one, which I'm not going to say because I haven't talked to the person yet. But... um, he played both sides of the conversation. He was basically saying, "You, I should not take no for an answer. And so if somebody says no, then I give them another compelling reason why. Because as long as what I'm doing is for the higher good and it's not selfish and it's going to benefit myself and the other person, as long as it's being of service to the world, to that person, to as long as it's not self-serving, then there's nothing wrong with being persistent. I hear that message, but you can't control somebody else's Cannot control, but he's saying that I can persevere and manifest if 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 what I if to so he changed my mantra from if something's meant to be to I'm going to get what I want and what I want I'm going to get and then he added no matter what my mother thinks about it (laughs) and and so that I have to take out the, the critical voices and I have to trust my instincts and know that if, if, I, if I'm really driven to something, as long as it's of service, that I should fight to get it. So um, taking this back to what we were just talking about, in keeping with that, um, I'm trying now to I apply it to everything. And it's also about knowing when to fold them. Know when to hold them know when to fold them. And so with all this new stuff that I'm manifesting, because we see we have exciting things to, to talk about, um, and I'm not going to give all the information here on the air tonight, but the road taken is going to be moving to um, another highway. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a step up for us, and it's exciting, and we're going to have a whole new way of interacting, which is really exciting. But with that, it's also understanding the things we have to let go of. So I understand you've had to let go of something today. Yes, I had to make a very difficult, heartbreaking choice. And I have run big departments at Premier Radio, Mm -hmm. and I had to fire people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have experience, but you don't sleep, Mm -hmm. you don't eat, 
it's excruciating mm-hmm. and uh, it's heartbreaking. And I had to let someone go today mm-hmm. for, uh, and it's a lovely, lovely person. So, mm-hmm. you know, not everything is the right fit. And so that's why I'm listening so acutely to what you're, what you're, what you're saying. And, and I do think that you can't force things. You can persist, but you can't force. And I, I'm not sure how, how everybody is supposed to know the difference. Well, I think what's interesting, I had this conversation with my sponsor because in, in recovery, we, we're kind of schooled that um, do the work and then get out of the way of the result, let go of the results, trust, trust the universe, trust God. That's always kind of been my way. Um, and I believe in that for most things. What Jeremy is trying to instill in me is that to change my stars, what I've been doing is not working for me. It is, cre- look, creatively, there's nothing I would change about my life. I love my life. I love every, I love this show. I love Women Who Write. I love the, the screenplay I'm writing with Ricardo. I, I love Don't Jump. I, lo- I love everything I've got. I love social media. I love all this stuff, but it's not making me a living. I'm not, I'm not make, I, my money is not commiserate with what I'm doing. And it's time. It's time. And I also have not manifested the love that I've been alone for seven years. Enough. I'm ready for a partner. I, I'm at least ready to get laid. <laughs> I'm ready. So I, I think that could be part of the problem. That I haven't gotten laid? No. no. I think that if, <laughs> I think if it's part of the problem. I think if you're too ready to get laid, do you replace love with that? Absolutely not. It's the reason that I haven't had either. It's because I want them both together. Good, so, good, good. Um, okay. so that is a very tricky thing. Um, it doesn't mean, though, that I can't have an intimate relationship. It doesn't mean that I have to be in love. I'm 61 years old. There's nothing wrong with me having sex. Um, it just hasn't. Well, anyway. But but the point is that, <laughs> that there's no reason for me not to be manifesting all of it. And because it depends on what your belief system is, but I truly believe that the words I say and the thoughts that I think and the actions that I take create my reality. I believe that the universe mirrors back to me what I put out. I agree. And I have spent so much time putting myself down and criticizing someone will pay me a compliment and I will tell them why they're wrong. And I will tell you, it, it, this goes back to what Jeremy shared with me a couple of weeks ago, and I think I shared it on the air last week, but it's that he asked me what my highest dream was, and I started to tell him, and then I said, but, and he said, why does your highest dream have a but on it? And I said, well, because it's not realistic. And he said, who told you that your dreams have to be realistic? My mother, my husband, you know? And so I have to take those voices out of my head, my dreams, my fantasies, don't have to be realistic. And I can have them. My highest ones, as long as I believe that I can have them, but I have to believe it first. And I have had limiting beliefs for a long time. I didn't used to. I used to have, I used to believe all the stuff the psychics told me and somewhere along the line I forgot and I stopped because I let all those other voices work on me. And so now I believe that we can have, I can have anything I want as long as it's not hurting anybody. It's for the greater good. Um, as long as my intention is, of, and I stay grateful and of service to others and um, 
and have generosity of spirit and, and a kind heart, why not? There is abundance in this universe. There's enough for everybody. So there's no reason why I shouldn't have, you know, I put the work in. I do the damn work. There's always room for excellence. There is room for excellence. There is. There's, there's, and, and part of my excellence right now is to eradicate some of this self-doubt and this insecurity and this this sabotage, self-sabotage that I do because I really do get in my own way. And part of releasing that is letting go of things that have an expiration date. And I never cried over a container of milk. And I am, I am mourning the loss of a, of a friendship and of a business friendship that have left my life recently. This one yet just yesterday and then one a few months ago. But those relationships were not healthy. They were not serving me. For, uh, for various reasons. And it's very, I don't let go well or easily. I'm a person that, I, you know, I stayed in my marriage for years past its expiration date. That's what I do. Let's try, to, let's try this. Let's try that. Sometimes it's better to just, you know something's wrong, just let it go. Just gracefully, kindly, lovingly let go. So how, Louise, do we, you and I, who are both mourning these difficult decisions and these difficult losses what's the what's the message out there to our listeners for ourselves how to move past that as gracefully as I I don't want to say painlessly because I think feeling it is important I think that I I often say that the hard thing is often the right thing Mm. so it's hard to have to have a conversation with someone where you're saying goodbye Mm -hmm. but if you if you don't text them, don't email, mm-hmm. say what you need to say because you value them mm-hmm. and you value what you've had together. You, you And then you can communicate your, your reasons. You, you may, they may feel differently. They may not be ready for the relationship to end, mm-hmm. but you, but you've honored them and you've told them what your truth is and why this is, this is not working for you. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's easier to to walk away if if you've just sort of texted or you've igno- oh, yeah. ignored someone mm-hmm. then it's always hanging over you that you haven't wrapped it up although i i left one like that uh where um i was waiting for a phone call back from somebody about a favor i had asked and i didn't hear back from them and i heard back from them on the day in the middle of the favor that i needed when it was clearly too late for them to do it and i was just at my end at that point like other things had happened that had pushed me so that that was the last as they say straw for me and I could not there was no further contact that could happen I had to step out and it's left it it's been hanging over my head and it's been an incomplete sentence and I've wanted to complete it and my my therapist because it takes a sponsor a therapist a life coach and a lot of friends uh, way fucking more than a village for me to get through life but um, I was talking to my therapist about and she was saying in this particular instance she did not feel that it was a good idea for me to contact the person and speak it out that it was better in this case to let it fall away and then at some point in the future we might be able to have a conversation but that now it would not serve right it depends on the nature of the relationship and what mm-hmm. the expectations were within it absolutely if you, if you have an ongoing working relationship with somebody and, the, and you need to sever that yeah. 
then that has to be attended Absol- to. Absolutely. Absolutely. That The other was a friendship that just was... Also, if you're married, you can't just drive away. No. <laughs> They're going to notice. Well, you know, sometimes I think people do. People do <laughs> People do drive away. If, if you don't have kids, it's kind of easier to just get in the car and go and then let the lawyers deal with it. Aren't but... you just really hopeful that Trump will decide to just keep flying? You know, I, like... I got, we got to talk about that picture today. <laughs> this isn't going to This isn't gonna air until next week, but that, today is, is, is Wednesday, um, uh, May, what's today's date 24th uh, today I think. is the 24th yeah. okay today's the 24th so today there was the picture of the trumps meeting the pope and i have to tell you i thought that photograph with ivanka with the black veil and and our first i can't even call her that but melania with the with the thing on her, the schmata the black schmata on her i totally thought that somebody had photoshopped that picture and it wasn't until i saw it like 30 times that I realized it was for real. I, I it, it is so, I mean, Ringling Brothers closed this week and we don't need them anymore because we've got the Trumps. We've got the circus. Well, in defense of what they were wearing, mm-hmm. there are photos of other first wives or first ladies. <laughs> What's the name for this job? We first haven't Wives had, Club. We haven't had one in a while. Yeah. I forgot what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not sure if it was Michelle, but maybe Hillary. I, mm. I, I've seen other uh, first ladies wear a a black headdress. I when have never when, seen any. I have never seen it look like this when visiting the Pope. Yeah, I have never seen it look like this before. And I have to go back and do some research. The, the that lineup today just looked, and then then a couple people did Photoshop the twins from The Shining oh, and like a, like a a, 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 like a, like a, I don't know, like a Jason character. It was just hysterical. He's just giving us too much to work with. Way too much. Well, I, I wish he would um, eliminate the works. Something else that came out today was, you know, something I can't even, the figures are staggering what would happen if this health bill passes. I and, just want him to get back on the plane and just keep flying <laughs> in the opposite direction. <laughs> Like, oops. Yeah, well. We couldn't remember how to get back. Sadly, though, he's like the Teflon president because we can't. So, If anybody else, nobody would get away with what he's gotten away with today. It's just crazy that he's still in office. He's not going to get away with it. He's not. Well, oh, but. All right. Um, all right. We can we can't get on this because we'll talk for an hour on yeah. on, on him. But um, but anyway, I, I just um, to wrap up what we were talking about, I, I think they're... I would like to break up with our president, and you're not hearing me. <laughs> um, he is not my president. He never was my boyfriend no. or my president, so I have no one to break up with because I have never acknowledged his existence, and I will not today either. Um, all right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, so all of this talk makes me think of tonight's guest because he is the antithesis of every single thing we have discussed Eddie Pepitone is happiness. Um, he wait, he's got like this weird nickname. Wait, I can't even see my notes. It's so dark and I'm old. But no, I'm not saying these things about myself. But they call him the uh, what do they call him? They call him the bitter Buddha. <laughs> Eddie Eddie reminds me of I've known Eddie for many years. Uh, we met in New York uh, in stand up days, and um, we actually did a. Um, a television a television pilot together called um, Hollywood Anonymous, and um, uh, Robert Schimmel was in it, and Roger Lodge, and um, it was it was pretty extraordinary. It was very very funny, and we each had a little bit of prepared 
stuff. And basically, it was a 12-step group for, for people who were trying to make it in Hollywood and, and uh, now needed to, to stop because it was making them crazy. And so we each kind of had our little rant, and then we interacted with each other and stuff. And Eddie and I, as I recall, somebody, somebody else really great was on that panel, Andy Kindler. I mean, it was amazing group of people and I think Eddie and I got into a little battle on there and uh, it was such great fun and then he came and did Women Who Write and um, he tore he literally tore down the house I mean because he's like Sam Kinison like he's very passionate you're crying you, you, you are. You, you're cry- when you watch Eddie, you're just crying. You, you are. can't breathe. And and I and I don't think we're building him up too much because no. I have no doubt that he's going to do it today. But he just he he is so passionate and so committed, yeah. like Kinnison, in, in to what he's saying. That um, I've seen him talk about the most mon- mundane, ridiculous things, and I've laughed till I've peed. You know, like a, a parking spot. He literally had me crying over a parking spot. So that's a gift. That's yeah. a gift. So you guys might know Eddie. Um, he's had recurring roles on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. He's played many characters on that show and has appeared on The Life and Times of Tim. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I wonder if he knows Arlen Stewart. Um, the Sarah Silverman program, Jimmy Kimmel Live, uh, Last Comic Standing, Chappelle's show, the new show Love, the Judd Apatow show, The Goldbergs, Comedy Bang Bang. He's been on Marin. Um, community, um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, to name just a bunch. He's also featured in the film Old School, which a lot of his fans will have remember him from. He's an accomplished dramatic actor as well and has appeared in Law and Order, Criminal Intent, The Beat, and Now and Again. I, I think I actually saw Eddie on Now and Again. I, um, Eddie appears regularly at the Improv, Caroline's on Broadway, Largo with the Coronet, and both the L.A. and New York Right Citizens Brigade. Um, he's released his first uh, comedy album, and uh, it's called A Great Stillness. And his, <laughs> A Great Stillness, Eddie couldn't sit still if his life depended on it. And uh, currently, his In Ruins, live in Brooklyn, can be seen on Netflix. Speaking of the before mentioned Netflix, I love this funny, funny boy so much. I am so excited to welcome him to the show. Hi, Eddie. Hey, Vicky. How are you? You know, well, Wheezy and I would just, by the way, Louise goes by Wheezy. Why? Tell him why. Well, it's a catchy nickname. And no, tell the truth. I was a page on the Jeffersons, and my name is Louise, so there's no escaping that situation without the nickname Wheezy. Oh, okay. There you go. Gotcha. So, and Louise started Premier Radio. She's one of the founders of Premier Radio. I've heard of Premier Radio. Yes. Well, and not also, to brag that I've heard of it. And, and a comic, and so your, your circles. And she was there. I, I, I don't, were you there when Eddie Dana was in the Eagles? living room? Uh, uh, no, not was, my living room. Oh, and your living room. I don't believe I was there. Okay. <gasps> oh, Women Who Write. That's right. That was great. That was great. And you have to come back. I, I have to have Oh, you still do it? Oh, yeah. Oh hell yeah! Paula Poundstone's doing it next week. Yeah, you get you get good people. I get good people. Well, the pay is good. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what we're here to talk about. We're here. To, we we were just laughing before we went on the air because I was saying to Eddie, you know, this is the road taken, and this is about people who've merged creativity and mm. commerce. And what did you say to that? I said show business sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you said. It's just I don't know what it is. It's 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 nerve wracking to me lately, and and I'm doing okay. 
okay. Yeah, you are. But um, I find it I find it nerve wracking um, on so many different levels. Uh, just being able to keep your creativity up, mm-hmm. you know, which is uh, something that's 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 taxing. You know, like I do stand up. I do stand up all the time, and mm-hmm. I become a regular at the comedy store, mm-hmm. and it's great because. There's packed audiences there every night, but you have to bring it. You have to bring it. I have at that never place. seen you not bring it. Well, you're right. You're right. However, mm-hmm. you, what I what I mean to say is that you have to bring it, but you have to hit home with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. have to you have to do well, and that's it's just stressful. And 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 I guess you know I use that stress to uh, like oh i see what you're saying it's not about the audience it's about the comedy store has to see that you're that you're that it's kicking yeah but it is about the audience and and you know my crazy i was i was driving up here and you know one of my things is i always criticize myself like i'm my own worst enemy in a lot of ways talking about that well i'm I'm I'm, and i think a lot of creative types Mm -hmm. are like that so that's another thing that's difficult you know trying to you know earn a living be successful is you have to not self-sabotage oh my god this was what this was the opening of the show this is i i have i have a tip for you that my life jeremy stevens wrote on fernwood tonight america tonight coach uh everybody loves raymond went to russia with phil and stayed there seven years jeremy stevens jeremy's a great guy so he's he's mentoring me life coaching me i laugh every time i say it but anyway his thing is he said to me what's your highest dream and i started to tell him my highest dream and then i said but he goes what's the but yeah and i said well it's not realistic he goes, why does a dream have to be Ooh. realistic? And then I said, he said, I said, because I've been listening to people tell me my whole life why my dreams aren't going to happen, why they're not mm. realistic. And he said, you got to take that out. Got to take that out. You got to say, I'm going to get what I. And and the whole thing is about self acceptance, self love, self not getting the trees out of the way. Stop sabotaging myself, which I've been doing all over the place, and saying, but not having complete self confidence and belief. Right. In, well, not, not in the talent, but in the ability to, and not even being successful because you are creatively successful. Mm. Um, but as far as going for the big prize and getting the big scores, the mm-hmm, money mm-hmm. gigs, yeah. the big stuff, yeah, to have total belief that that's yours for the taking, and that you're not going to stop till you get it. Ride that horse. Right. However, however, I got to tell you, and I and I want you to you know be as successful as you want to be, and take his advice. However, what I think happens, at least with me, is that I was also brought up by people who did not believe like that, and you know they're hardcore. I grew up with hardcore New Yorkers like Brooklyn. My dad grew up in Brooklyn. And what what happens in a working class, there was a great book called, if anybody wants to look this up, it's called The Hidden Injuries of the Working Class. And it's it's like what happens with, with, with working class people is that, and especially these days in, in this fucked up world we live in now, which is, is just a nightmare for working people mm-hmm. um, all over, um, is is that you're a realist you know you 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 just don't say oh i'm gonna get whatever i want because you know the world is tough and that's not that is not 
to say, oh, you know, because I hate all this happy horse shit, self-help shit, mm-hmm. because I think part of it is correct, and then part of me rebels against it and says, please stop with the unicorns, and like, <laughs> we're all, no, we're all gonna get what we want, and we're all gonna get our dreams. If that were fucking true, then, you know. Uh, okay, I, I, And I, I don't was, mean to be devil's advocate. No, 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 I was in that school, but what, what Jeremy was pointing out to me, and which I've come to accept as truth, is... Something can't happen unless I believe it's going to happen. You're right. Because if I'm putting out there that there's a but on my dream, the universe is going to respond to that, and I'm not going to fucking get it. If I put okay. it out, you know, if the only way anything can happen, it, can, it can't manifest unless I believe it, it's going to happen. And something about that self-belief adds a level of conviction that sells and that tells mm. I, you know this is all that touchy-feely universe I shit but i really do believe that the mess that the words we say the thoughts we think the actions we do pave the way for what happens to us and if we don't believe the dream no one gonna no one else is gonna fucking believe it either and the reason why people <laughs> yeah. like madonna and people like that get where they get is because nothing's gonna stop that self yeah but did you ever meet those fucking people they're they're fucking awful a <laughs> lot of them i'm not kidding you think i'm fucking kidding their singular vision to be successful let me yeah. tell you something about those fucking people don't get in their fucking way yeah and do you want no, to be that kind of no, person? No, because I I don't think that because I don't think they're happy. I think the people that <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, the people that have that singular vision and make it are not happy people. Yeah, but yeah. I think that if you have that vision, but what you're doing is of service to other people, that you're not hurting anybody, that what right. you do is of a higher good, and that's all that touchy-feely crap again, but I mean it. Like, stuff like this does serve other people. Right. Right? The right. intention is to help other people. It doesn't suck that it helps, that it, for it to help me, too. Uh, it's not right now. But, no, but, <laughs> right? But, no. But, but okay, so I actually want to go back and talk about that, that upbringing, because that's kind of what we do here. So, little Eddie Pepitone's in Brooklyn, right? So, so what's your what does your father do for a living? My dad and mom uh, were both teachers. It, it was difficult, you know. It was very difficult. Uh, my dad, you know, just a real grinding out day after day after day being a being a teacher. Well, my mom is, what... couldn't deal with it. My mom couldn't deal with it. She checked out. Um, I, there was a mental illness in my family. My mom was big time manic depressive. They called it back then. Now they call it bipolar. Right. But she really, I mean, she really had it bad. So did I- Did she have medication? Or was yes, she, on... she did. But, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, n- the medication really didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my mom went in and out of institutions. So I grew up with that. Do you know what I mean? I, I, and my dad became kind of like, uh, uh, he was kind of a rageaholic. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with a lot. So I grew up with like a lot of negativity. So, you know, getting back to your point about you know following your dream that's all well and good for someone to say you know you have to just do you know believe in yourself blah 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 but you're a person with 
you know, and, and I'm just talking about me now, uh, you know, all those years of intense emotions that I experienced with my mom going in and out of institutions and my dad kind of being a rageaholic and I absorbed so much of that. So am I just going to be the guy who's like, I am going to get whatever I want. Now, some people, I guess, are amazing and they transcend you know uh and, and we've heard and and uh, you know there have been tremendous stories about people who just transcend you know shitty 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 environments you know people who grow up extremely poor or whatever but um you know for me like i i took it you know uh, sensitive bright kid taking in all that shit and getting blamed you know getting blamed mm-hmm. for stuff so you know i've done the best i can with turning all of that you know insanity into comedy i mean mm-hmm. that's what i have done mm-hmm. and i was driving up here you know because i like, like i said i i am my own worst enemy and and i was kind of and i was giving myself credit that i've been very very tenacious mm-hmm. uh, particularly doing stand up like i am now 58 and i'm still going up there like i know so many stand-ups guys and women who say they do stand-up but they never do it mm-hmm. and but they say they do it right they never fucking do it or they they've given it up years ago mm-hmm. to like do other like but i have stuck with it and part <laughs> of it part of it is is because and I tell this to people because I get I get a lot of people asking me so so how do I become a stand up what should I do to become a stand up and I tell them truthfully you have to need it mm-hmm. you have to need it and that's kind of been the secret mm-hmm. to me staying with it is that I have kind of you know gotten so much from it when I get in front of an audience like it's just an amazing transformative thing when I make them laugh and then I feel great about making them laugh and it's like like I constantly need to be adored because my mother you know was checked out I mean this is my analysis right. of it, and, and, I, and I've been in a lot of therapy and stuff too we were discussing that too it takes a so therapist I, a life coach a sponsor a lot of people have to keep my village afloat um okay so it, so i hear you and what's interesting is um when jeremy was giving me my new mantra instead of mm-hmm. uh my 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 dream is but he wanted me to start saying i'm gonna get what i want and i'm gonna i'm gonna want i'm gonna, I'm gonna get what i want mm-hmm. and then he added no matter what my mother fucking thinks about it because That's you know good. i i've spent my life you you know, being told my dreams were not realistic and they're not going to happen mm. by a wife, by by a husband, by a mother, by yes. all of these people, and I start and and I don't even need them anymore because I've got their voices in my head yes. telling me yes. that it's not going to happen. Right. That it, this this is what's wrong with. That's it. why I say I'm my own worst enemy now. Exactly. So he's saying to take the tree out of the road and to say that's bullshit. I can have mm. it all if I believe. I can and I know that sounds like touchy feely crap. No. But I really but it makes sense to me. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and my point was, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as that kind of, what you're kind of talking about is I believe it would be 
labeled behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I believe it would be la- mm-hmm. labeled behavioral therapist because behaviorists kind of say, okay, well, I want you to get the bad thoughts out. Now, I get very confused because I go, I like to go the Buddhist route. And you know what the Buddhists say? The Buddhists say, just lean into, mm-hmm. lean into whatever you're feeling and let it go through you and you'll come out the other side that's what they say they say don't push it away Mm -hmm. they say let it let it be in you and don't fight that you know what resist what you resist persists Persists, right so they say let it let it go through you so i think you know I think it's different strokes for different people. Like, you know, maybe that technique works for you. But I think it also is different things work at different times. I think you're right. Because I I go through my (laughs) things and I I try every... If somebody's got a tool, I try it on. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes it works for a little while. It stops working. I got to try something else. What he's giving me is working for me now, today. I think you're right. You know, I have to say, though, since he had me start this little thing, like... My show got moved to uh, another now. Uh, things started to happen, and I really think it's just a mindset of being willing to see things differently. To say, you know what, I've been doing it the same. If you know what's insanity, doing the same thing the same old way and expecting different results. I keep doing the same shit, having the same thoughts, and things aren't changing. Yeah. Well. I'm tired. It's like right. I, I'm 61. You're 50. I'm 61. It's like enough right. shit already. It's time to move on. It's time to try something else. Yeah. Um, so okay. So I want to go back. So your mom's in and out of institutions. Your father's. So my tell f- me about your dad. So so well, he's my criticizing. Dad, my dad. You know, my dad is a mixed bag because uh, he's 80 right now. He's 83, and he's. Uh, I tell I tell him that. Uh, God doesn't kill the evil ones. That's why he's still alive. <laughs> but we have a, we have a funny relationship. Like I, I went through different periods of my life where I was furious at him, and you know. But I mean, we're close because he was kind of mom and dad. Mm. And I also get creativity. My dad used to play uh, while he was a rageaholic and blame me and mm-hmm. was very critical of me and fucked me up. He also played a lot of classical music around the house. Mm. You know, he had a great sense of humor you know sicilian sense of humor i i'm 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 a product of of sicilian on my dad and jewish on my mom so i was fucked (laughs) i was so fucked you had guilt coming from both ends and oh my god operatic guilt (laughs) you know what i mean because my dad used to play operas at this incredible loud level you know um, so anyway, yeah. So so he was a school teacher. You know, he wanted he wanted to be more mm. than that. You what know? did he want? I I'm not sure. Oh, you know what? It was really kind of sad. It's kind of a sad story. He he was a really good photographer, and he used to show me. He would take you know before the fucking phones. He had you know all these right. lenses and mm-hmm. stuff, and he used to take beautiful pictures of like sunset by the Verrazano Bridge in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And he used to show me, and he just stopped doing that and I think mm. it I think it related to my mom mm. you know my mom's illness so you know uh, so I think when that kind of creative spark oh and then another thing that he was he di- fun like was he funny yes mm-hmm. he is funny because somebody had to be funny yeah my mom had a good sense of humor too mm-hmm. um, she's no longer with us but I'm sorry yeah uh, but um, 
my dad also loved to build stuff and my uncle his brother like like it, what um just just they would uh Ikea. oh just houses oh, no oh, no oh. that's that's for the people who don't know how to build right stuff. right like my dad and his brother mm -hmm. his brother particularly was like a master carpenter mm. you know also a self-sabotaging guy though like like he was a brilliant carpenter if, uh -huh. if you could use the word brilliant to carpenter right i mean he yeah of he course. really yeah 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 i mean he just could he could he could you know if you know he did stuff in brooklyn like if someone want an extension to their house and he could my dad said he's a master with his hands and tools and my dad that's, that's very Italian that's very Sicilian yeah. that's very Italian yeah. my Italian boyfriend his father they they all built stuff yes. yeah yeah yes so so not only music and photography but he 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 loved to build stuff and, mm -hmm. he, and he did he did and, and his father I love my grandfather my dad's dad was such a he was so the opposite of my dad he was such a sweet peaceful Sicilian mm -hmm. who just liked to he also he was an engineer mm -hmm. and he built things as well and mm -hmm. I remember in his older age my my grandfather my dad's dad lived to 99 and wow. his mom lived to, to 94 so wow. he has great bloodline on uh -huh. that side wow whereas the Jews didn't last <laughs> they just had heart attacks like like just where is where is grandpa Max he's dead he's dead holy shit what happened to him heart attack why I, he was thin I don't know. He was always at the racetrack. <laughs> okay, so, so, oh yeah, the Jews. Uh, so, 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 you're a little kid. You're you're taking this shit. Your mother's in and out of things. Mm -hmm. When do you know you're funny? Is funny like how does funny happen for you? And when do you realize you're funny and that it works for you? You know when I realized I was funny, I, I when I was hanging out. It's when I at nine years old we moved to Staten Island. Oh my and God! Why? Yeah, exactly. No, uh, really, I'm serious. Why well, did you? Why yeah. my dad uh, bought a house on oh. Staten Island? Okay, and it was more pastoral back then. Uh -huh. Are you from New York? I am. Okay, so we met Staten there. Island. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't remember much mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, but Staten Island back then mm -hmm. was very woodsy, and mm. my dad, you know, wanted to uh, have a house that was kind of in a nice area, blah, nice. blah, blah. Yeah, as opposed to the crowded, crowded uh, uh, place where we were in Brooklyn, which was like Flatbush, Bensonhurst, blah, mm. blah, blah. Uh, so, um, you know, we moved to Staten Island, and when I realized I was funny was when I would hang out with my buddies and just crack them the fuck up and I would just be hanging out and one of the first things I remember uh, uh, being funny I think it was around 10 years old I would just make up my own kind of gibberish <laughs> and I never really continue doing that but I remember very distinctly that I would just make these guys laugh by making up words <laughs> And and then from there, you know, and then from there, I just, I just, it, it just became, you know, it's a classic story of, of the insecure kid who uses comedy as a way, as a, as a weapon, as a way to get liked. And mm -hmm. I did that from a very, very, uh, you know, early age, like nine. Was 10. that always your dream? Did you do, like? Do you remember what your first dream was of when I grow up, I want to be? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess for me it always was comedy. Mm -hmm. I never had um, any kind of other 
I never really, that's really kind of insane that I never no, had that, any No, I think that's other... why it happened for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's the talking to Jeremy's that, thing, yeah, yeah. it's like, it, but, but that was innate. That was not something that came, that had to come from outside. Right. Like, like, say this phrase every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was built into my DNA mm-hmm. uh, that yeah, I Yeah, but all the other things we were talking about that we have to say every day, it's because they were beaten out of us. They are also innate dreams, but they were beaten out of mm. us by people telling us it couldn't happen no good. So, mm. uh, so I do believe it's the same thing. So go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I just realized, I think it was when I first started watching, like me and my dad would watch The Honeymooners together. Mm-hmm. I used to watch comedians come on Ed Sullivan. Uh, Who were your favorite? Do you remember London Lee? I asked somebody recently. They don't remember London Lee. I loved London. You don't remember me either? You're a little younger than me. He was. Three years. Yeah, but that makes a difference. <laughs> I know because, it does when you're Because I was up. like, you know, six or seven. Right. So, so who did you love on who? Like David Steinberg. I can remember the guys I used I, to like wait for on, on Ed Sullivan. Who did, who did you love? Yeah. Um, I. I don't, I don't, don't remember. remember. I don't remember who the comic, Alan King. Come on. Alan King. Yeah, I used to. I used to dig them all. Mm. I used, to, and it was such a different way. Mm. The comics were, were so different. Mm-hmm. You know. You know what's really funny? Fucking funny is that then I met these guys. I met Alan King. Like that is just so wild. I never met Don Rickles, who was another mm-hmm. one of my favorites mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, and you've been influenced by Gleason and by Rickles, and it, yeah, that definitely, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, I think in my bio I say like I'm I'm influenced by both of those guys. You do, and and it, but you are. I like mean, I'm loved Gleason. Like, like I used to watch the Honeymooners, but I would just be riveted to him. A lot of people like. I mean, I loved Art Carney, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I just loved the way he and I, and I've kind of really kind of gotten into this myself. The way he could go really high and then really soft and mm-hmm. vulnerable. Like I thought that was brilliant. He was he, brilliant that way, and also he could use his face. Like he yeah. didn't have to say anything. He used mm-hmm. his face so mm-hmm. powerfully and, mm-hmm. and hysterically. Yeah, yeah. He had a crazy life too. I, I don't he know. Had, I don't know much about his life. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a lot of alcohol in his well, life, that, yeah. and he would put on weight, drop weight. Uh, he was a mercurial guy. Mm-hmm. He didn't like to rehearse. He didn't like to what? rehearse what? anything, which would drive, you know, the other actors. Some wow. of them crazy, you know, and I'm like that. I, I don't like to do it. I do it because I don't have my own fucking show. But <laughs> but I, I li- like when I do stand up, I don't prepare much. Real- so tell. All right. So so when did you start? Let, let's we'll get to how you mm-hmm. do that. But so so you're being funny with your friends. Yeah. You don't have any other plan of anything else you want to be when you grow up. So so you're in Staten Island. You're in school. What happens from there? Uh, well, then what happens? My dad was very, uh, my dad was very like, I want you to be a doctor type Oy. of guy. So he was really pressuring me to go. I went to Brooklyn Tech, mm. like, uh, which wasn't my bag, but I went because of my dad. He was like, no, no, you want to go to this good school. Were you a good student? No. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't, except for the things I wanted to do. Mm. You know what I mean? But, you know, he was forcing me, not forcing me, but he was like pushing me into sciences and mm. it was a fucking science high school and I was Ooh. not a science kid, you know? Mm. I, I, I think I got, my average was like uh, B, 
Like I was oh. a B student <laughs> through right. tech. Um, but I rebelled. I rebelled. You see, that's when I started self-sabotaging. I started smoking tremendous amounts of pot at the I'm age of- I'm raising my hand. At the age of 14. And I'll tell you, I look at a 14-year-old kid now and I go, I cannot believe that's really too young. I yeah. look at a 14-year-old kid and I'm mm. going, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? But it really fucked me. I mean, I thought I was just, and, and, and it was a big middle finger for me to throw at my dad telling mm. me what to do and I was just checking out, man. Mm -hmm. And that is a thing that, you know, I, I, that I think kind of is why I'm such like uh, success has come to me later mm -hmm. in life is because you know I was just in a haze of of, of weed for mm -hmm. for a lot of formative years I think it's I think it's key that it was formative I was right there with you yeah mm -hmm. yeah 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 because I know some people who started smoking like when they were 30 and I think that's a lot better I, yeah I think, that's, <laughs> I, I think that makes a big difference yeah, yeah I does. mean we're, we're our brain still forming yes. and all of that kind of stuff yeah um I, yeah. I get that okay so so you're smoking a lot of pot you're at brooklyn tech uh, when's yeah. the first time you do stand up uh i went then i went to uh i i still hadn't done it until i went to college and i just i was like I, my dad wanted my I, my dad wanted me to take be like take chemistry so I did it for half a year and then I fucking I that's when I said no more of this shit mm -hmm. and I started taking English history and uh, and then I went to New York and I just fucking left college mm -hmm. and I went to New York at like the age of 19 mm -hmm. I think I lasted in college a couple of years at the age of 19 20 I just started taking acting classes and started uh I wrote a play that got produced. Oh wow! Um, a one-act play that was actually at the college. I, I it was amazing. I met a couple of really cool teachers mm -hmm. in college. What college? Uh, the College of Staten Island. But what would happen is that they would get great people from Manhattan because it was part of the CUNY system. Uh -huh. And uh, they would get these really cool people. And I met I met a playwright named Herb Liebman, and he had me write a play, and they produced it. They liked it so much. It was a comedy. And from there, I was totally hooked. Mm -hmm. And I just start, you know, when, they, when, I, when, I, when I knew that this guy, you know, Herb, who's a playwright, uh, he was a playwright mm -hmm. in New York and uh, he said dude you got a lot of talent and that was it for me that was it for me I never looked back as far as pursuing show business and mm -hmm. and at first I really really wanted to be a playwright mm -hmm. and um, I and, and still to this day you know <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll talk to Jeremy about it but still to this day I fucking hate television I, I being out in Hollywood makes you just hate anything to do with show business and I want to write plays mm. I still do and I recently wrote like about half of a one-man show and it was wild I was doing my mother my father Buddha these are the characters in it my mom my dad Buddha Jesus <laughs> And Buddha, Jesus, and Eckhart Tolle, so far, <laughs> so far, the, and me, and me in the center of the stage, yeah. and all this shit, and it incorporates like their madness. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I hope you do it. Yeah. Come, come to Women Who Write and read some of it. Have you written some of it? Yes. Come, come read it. I love this. I should. I you should. should. I love the idea of it. Yeah. So, so... Uh, 
so you started so out. I, so then once. So, so you so were like taking about, acting classes. Yes, and you were, I started yeah. taking acting mm-hmm. classes in New York. And then I started doing stand up as well at the same time. And here's what happened to me when I first started doing stand up. All of that negativity. Because when I told my dad that I was no more science, no more being a doctor, he wouldn't talk to me. He was like, you're oh. fucking, I don't want to talk to you. Oh. You know, fuck you. Okay, do what you want, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, but then we came around and, and we, you know, you he did had, it well, any, but, but you he, did it I anyway. I did it anyway. See, okay. I've been to the, but, but let me tell you the price. I used to throw up in the bathroom before stand-up shows. <laughs> I had so much nervousness and anxiety and fighting those inner those mm-hmm. inner demons and you know that so that was always a struggle how o- how old were you when you started doing the stand up 19 and where did you start new york like the comic strip and stuff comic no 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 <laughs> i i i would st- i was doing i i had yeah sure i did the comic strip and stuff but when i first started it was open mics mm-hmm. it was in the village it was mm-hmm. in it was in hell's kitchen mm-hmm. all these places that aren't there now mm-hmm. um and what and this is what i want to tell you is that i had such stage anxiety and like that I had to stop doing stand up mm. because it was so difficult. Stand up is 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 very very difficult, mm. you know. And I'm not talking about being a hack. I'm mm-hmm. t- you know because a lot of people will just go up there and they um they have like a set list where they just do XYZ and XYZ and XYZ. I think to be a stand up like I oh I got to say that one of my biggest influences was Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and Carlin. Mm-hmm. And I just the storytelling, but but particularly no no, but particularly prior, mm-hmm. because what I wanted to do and what I have you know still done is just put myself my raw my raw self on stage. To me, that's what stand up is. Mm-hmm. To me, those are the funniest people who you know they're not just reading a fucking script. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, I'm going to talk about raisins you know i'm mm-hmm. going to talk about how funny raisins are or, f- <laughs> or how funny or funny ralph's is or whatever the fuck um i talk about what i'm feeling although i was telling louise that one of the funniest sets i've ever heard you do it wasn't really a set it was at mm-hmm. the actors gang and you were talking about parking <laughs> you were talking about par- do you remember that I, I forget you were at the actors yes! gang craziness you were you were talking about parking and it i was crying <laughs> it was absolutely insane now Here's the thing, and this is, this is uh, the curse of what I do is that I have no recollection. I love that. <laughs> and and what it is is that I was just venting. You you were in and the moment. And that's kind of yeah. what I do. Yeah. Yes, it is. But what I do now is I tape it all, and then I go back, mm-hmm. I listen to it, and I'm like, okay, because I'm doing another Netflix special. Come the fall that Jeff Garland of Curb Your Enthusiasm fame is producing for me. It's going to nice. be my second next Netflix special. In the Ruins is the... In Ruins is the first ruins, one. Yeah. Um, but this one, and so I'm wor- I'm like, you know, I have to call all this shit from right. all my in-the-moment rants. 
I love it. You know? I, lo- I went difficult. to a Netflix event last night. I was talking about it, and mm-hmm. they—that is the coolest network ever. Mm-hmm. And what's where what, were you? Well, who was it? Um, well, it was a panel with Judd Apatow and, and Chelsea Handler and Bill Burr and and Marta Kaufman, and and I believe it was Marta who said that what was so great mm-hmm. about Netflix is that mm-hmm. they encourage everybody to totally be true to their own vision and to not try to be formulaic and to not try to fit in a box at right. all. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's 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 an interesting time as far as the new media, like Netflix and all these other Amazon and all these other places that have opened up. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are opportunities um, out there. I have to remind myself of that because I do. I do have such a. I feel like I. I feel like you know, getting back to the original thing we talked about. I I, I do have to battle against such negative voices in my head Mm -hmm. and kind of kick down those doors that try to or kick down that that confinement you know and realize Mm -hmm. that shit there is netflix there is this there Mm -hmm. is that you know what i mean and it's also that to for me i have to remember those voices are not mine i've made Mm -hmm. them i i hear them in my (laughs) i know it's a weird thing but they're not my voices but i've i've accepted them as being part of my and they're not yeah yeah and that's the buddhist thing of like letting those like don't just say get out of your voices you know i'm gonna just achieve everything i want it's like let them fucking say a few you know the way the buddhists talk about it is Mm -hmm. like say oh hello Oh, hello, old friends. Mm-hmm. Would you like a cup of tea, <laughs> evil one? You know, would you like a cup of tea, deep, dark, negative piece of shit that you are? You know what I mean? All right. Yeah. Re- oh, really? Is that right? Is that what you have to say today? Well, thank you very much, but um, I'll see you later because, you know, you're not me or whatever. But 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 the idea being, you know, kind of... In acceptance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In acceptance. Not accepting what their message is uh-huh. but kind of just letting them fucking talk themselves out somebody an empath some guy who claimed to be an empath once told me mm-hmm. that he wanted me to imagine the worst possible scenario the end as the Ooh. worst and i was like why why the fuck would i want to do that and he said because when you get to the other side and you're still alive and okay then it will be okay but for me going to the darkest dark place is too so that that I can't see that as being a healthy thing. To me, I was afraid that was going to take me down. Like I don't want to think of the worst possible. For another reason too, if if I think of the worst possible end result, mm-hmm. what if that? What if I um, manifest it because I'm making it? You know, I'm. I I believe what we see, what we say, what we do creates our reality. So if I'm like thinking of mm-hmm. all this negative shit. I might invite it to happen. I don't know. I don't know. That scares me. Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting. That's all. That's interesting too. Like, like uh, go to the, go to the darkest place and go through it. I mean, you have to be guided. I think through that by someone you really trust. Mm. You know, and and I mean that's why I've been in therapy, and and it's fucking unfortunate right now because I I had a therapist, but um, he was he was in Beverly Hills, and he didn't take insurance, and it was it got too expensive mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in that horrible thing of trying to find another one. Oh, do I have a therapist for you? I've you sent do? like I've sent like so many people to her that she barely has time for me anymore. She's brilliant, of the best. Is she in the valley? She's in Pasadena. 
No. no. Well, you see, the thing is, is that I don't want to get stressed driving to. I, I don't want to get stressed driving to the therapist. Yeah. You know what I no. mean? But and that's no one reason I stopped. On the two ten, there's no traffic. See, and yeah. that's the other thing. When you're in New York, when, when we're in New York, and people from LA come out and they start talking about, ah, I take the five to the ten to the, and I'm like, well, who the fuck are these people? Like the Californians, that sketch. But then you move out here and like, I'm one of those people now. I'm talking yeah. freeways. But anyway. Um, in it, okay, so now, so you, so you doing, so you doing a playwriting thing. You start doing stand up. Yeah. How, how does classes. that go for you? You're 19. You're 20. W- are you having to get real jobs? How are you paying yes, the bills? Yes, yes, yes. Um, wh- I I did what uh, many many actors do. I waited tables, mm-hmm. and I did it for years. Mm-hmm. I did it for years. I bartended. Mm-hmm. I waited tables. I hated it. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated it. Where'd you it. work? Oh, I worked all over Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I said that I, I've worked. I've been fired in more restaurants. I've been fired from more restaurants than I've eaten at in New York City. <laughs> you know, uh, but I've worked in really good, like good ones, and then I've worked in shitty. I've worked in all levels uh-huh. of different, and I fucking hate it. And you know, I have a lot of actor friends out here who are waiting tables and catering, and I just am like, oh, you poor. <laughs> fucking bastard <laughs> i don't say it like that in my head yeah i'm like i'm like oh my god and i've been able to earn my living you know I, I i i haven't done that shit for about 18 years i was gonna say so what what transitioned you from having to have what the- transitioned me was that and and so anyway to just to just kind of cut to the mm-hmm. chase what happened was that i took acting classes i got a lot mm-hmm. of acting uh training i then joined an improv group and i toured the country and then i went back to stand up it took me a while to get the courage to go back to my original uh-huh. fucking dream because uh, improv can suck me too i i was like i was part of improv and it helped you know it was it was fine and i met great people but mm-hmm. i you know i was always kind of a solo guy mm. you know i was even kind of a solo selfish guy in the improv scenes you know what i mean i'd be all about me and all about like like i was the opposite of a good improv player who should be a team player i was like no 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 i got something really funny to say so i had to get the fuck out of there but i did love serious acting mm-hmm. i did love all that stuff i played the lead in an arthur miller play called view from the bridge wow yes hell off That's... broadway mm-hmm. um you know so so, so what happened? And then I started doing a lot of stand-up, and I started meeting different people. And then my break, if you could call it a big break, to get me out of um, waiting tables and everything, it was a couple of things. One, Conan. Some of the Conan writers were always my buddies. And that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. When you start hanging out with stand-ups, a lot of them become writers for Ex. shows. Well, my ex. Yeah, your ex. Yeah, Yeah, Gabe. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and they would call me in for shit. And I started regularly doing Conan, which lasted many years until a couple of years ago. Why am I spacing right now on the showrunner's name that I've known for a million? Mike Sweeney? Mike Sweeney. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and great. I mean, they, they stopped using me about a year and a half ago or two years ago, and I have no idea why. And Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who the fuck knows why? Mm-hmm. It's really it's really an interesting. I'll tell you about life and like that kind of thing and why I say show business blows. It's like me like having trouble. I think what's really difficult in life is changing. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, so they're not 
you know, so Conan, let's just say Conan. Well, so Conan's how long, not, did, you did Conan for a long time. Many, many years. I had I had a recurring uh, thing where I would heckle Conan from the, uh, from right. the crowd. And it was, it. it was so great because mm-hmm. it was, I loved it because it was, it was featured. It wasn't like a little mm-hmm. piece of shit bit that a lot of players on Conan do. It was all about, you know, me and mm-hmm. Conan and it ran for years. Mm-hmm. It, and over here and I would go to, sh- when he would go on the road, I would go on the road with them oh wow um so it was great but mm. it all of a sudden ended and i have no fucking clue why it could be that absolutely nothing happened that last no, nothing no not that i know of you wow know? Mm. interesting but um uh you know i always think in in my thing i'm like oh it's age mm. or conan Conan just kind of got sick of it yeah mm. absolutely mm. I think that's it mm. is that I was like always like Conan da, 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 da. and I think as a matter of fact in one rehearsal he said to me hey how come you're always yelling at me it was hilarious because that's right. how the bits were written right of course and I said because you remind me of my father <laughs> <laughs> you fucking ginger snap uh, uh, so that had to be uh, that had to be really weird when that stopped and it was and you know you know what's really hard for me to do is to be graceful <laughs> with this shit yeah you're laughing I it's am. like yeah it's I get so it. difficult it is i just got written i i did this netflix show that apatow uh is the show i just saw that love i love. just saw the i was on it i was on it two years okay and i was on hold this year for season three uh-huh. and the hold date came up so I asked my agent I said hey what's up with love I'm on hold this week and he and he said oh let me check and he goes oh you've been written out of the show <gasps> and I so wanted to oh. say you piece of shit whoever it was mm-hmm. but whatever it's like it's like and this is what I wanted to get to you just have to be like so willing uh, or or so kind of like really being able to go with that you know and not getting and it's really this is what's really difficult about show business i think is not getting bitter there are so many bitter people and so many whacked out people always a horrible sign in show business is when people are starting to sell crafts mm-hmm. you know what i mean when mm-hmm. oh yes i have my own personal jewelry line i'm like <laughs> oh god you poor fuck <laughs> You poor fuck, you know, or their yoga instructor. Oh, yoga. Or they're a life coach, not Jeremy. Jeremy's 79. He chose it. He he didn't need to work anymore. But 79, you 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 just kind of, you're off the, you know, you could do anything you fucking want. Anything you want. But the thing that kills me about life coaches, everyone that I know that's a life coach besides Jeremy wants to be something else. And they're only, right? They, 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 that's why they're full of shit. They they want, right. But none of them are achieving in their own career what they want. So they become a life coach. Uh, that's why it's, by the way, you just, that's checkmate on life coaches. That's checkmate. I'm telling mate. you, that's it. That's checkmate. And it's, I never had a life coach. I never went down that route. I, I always had a shrink. Again, but I have both. I, well, no, I only I have it because a life I did coach. it as Because of just what you said. Yeah, but the thing is that Jeremy was, was doing, like, taking test subjects while he was learning. He's 79. He's brilliant. He's wrote Fernwood Tonight, my favorite show of oh, all time. I Please. love Fernwood Tonight. I mean, tonight. I love Jeremy. So he's the funniest guy. So, so he was, like, needed test subjects. So I did it with him a couple times for him. But it ended up being this great thing. for, And he's brilliant. You know, he's just... But he's somebody Mm -hmm. he's a guy you know know, you could say you could call it a life coach whatever but i believe in the old terminology native american it's a 
guy. It's a guy. It's a guy. We we a guru like life coach is such a fucked up. It's dumb. Corporate. I roll my eyes every word. time I've ever said it. Just but, call it a but, guy. Well, but a the shaman. thing about it, the thing about him that makes him extraordinary mm-hmm. is that he has lived all of his dreams. He is a total success. He has murdered. That's creativity. what he says. Yeah. So from somebody like that to guide me, that makes sense because he's done it. But yeah. for these other shaman, is he a happy guy? Huh? Is he happy? He's a very happy guy. Oh, good. In fact, Phil Rosenfeld said that he's the thing. most positive person he's ever met. Well, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Because a lot of people, like you said, uh, they're before, bitter. Well, they're successful and fucking and oh. fucking unhappy. Oh yeah, that really sucks. That that's. But see now, that I don't know why that happened. You know, if well, because that's all they have in their life. They don't have mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. They they have success. They don't have love. That's what the deal well, is. Well, part of this process is about is about having it all. Is about <laughs> because it, it's about getting com- and it's all about being comfortable inside. It's all about self acceptance to be able to mm-hmm. ha- allow that shit to happen. Because like sab- self sabotage happens in love. Also, you married, right? Yes. Yes. And so, how is that go? So, how is that? It's it's great. It's it's also a learning process for me. I mean, I you got married. married I got married when I was fifty four, mm-hmm. and I tour high schools telling kids, "Don't get married to your seventy, <laughs> and take your time with it." <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously it's, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're late. You you were late to that party. I was very late to that party. Thank God. So what got you? I to- could not. Well, well. First of all, I told you about my upbringing, mm-hmm. right? So come on, is the, I am not marriage material. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I I have such trust issues, mm-hmm. and oh man, I was a I was a fucking head case. And I mean, still am. I still am. But how long how long were you with your wife before you got uh, married? Seven years. Okay. So it so, took a long time. So yeah, you took your time. You I did. It. I did. Okay, so so you were doing cone, and that's your first thing that you can mm-hmm. stop waiting tables. What happens after that? Right, a lot's I, happened to you. Right. Um, so yeah, I started doing Kona regularly, and then another big thing. Uh, so I started doing Kona, started getting, you know, different types of acting work. Like my buddy, who's now a big time director out here, uh, his name is Chris Koch, and he got me on all these like little shows, like Nickelodeon things, and doing voices and blah blah blah. And then. I my other big break was the movie Old School, mm-hmm. and um, Scott Armstrong, who co-wrote it with Todd Phillips, Scott just approached me. I was in New York doing some improv stuff at UCB, and he said, "Hey, we have a part in this movie that I think you'd be great for." And it took me out to LA, and I never looked back wow. um, from LA. And 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 also right before that, someone asked me to do Last Comic Standing, which mm-hmm. I didn't want to do, but he was a producer of it. He said, just come on in. We're going to throw you right in to like the the quarterfinals or something because I was not going to. Oh, gonna, really? Yes, yes. It was a fucking thing and I won the quarters and I went to the I went to like the semis and it was a big deal and I got a lot of exposure from that. I was on television uh-huh. as a stand-up and right. people kind of knew me and that was just coinciding with me going to LA and that's that's when, you know, I started working a bunch. So now you come out to LA but Conan still was in New York then, wasn't he? Conan Conan, it was wild because uh, Conan in about, uh, it was like a couple of years, uh, came out to L.A. Mm -hmm. And then so I started doing the show. 
So Again. you oh so you didn't even need to do Conan in those years because you were doing all this other right. stuff in L.A. Right, but he wasn't. It was funny when I came out here. He came out here pretty soon after. Mm. The way it worked out, which mm-hmm. was great, you know, great for me. But then by then I had started doing all kinds of stuff. Like I did Kimmel, mm-hmm. I did Craig Ferguson, mm-hmm. I did the whole late night circuit as like because all my buddies were writing on these shows. Right, on right. Kimmel, on Craig Ferguson, on Conan. Who who else was around? I never did the Tonight Show, which mm-hmm. is too bad, but yeah. Well, okay. And so, so bring us up to date. So now you're working on a Netflix well, show. I'm not working. I'm I'm oh. working on my special. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, what yeah, I mean. yeah. 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 But but then but then you know in the last few years I had a documentary done on me. Which uh, did you know that the Bitter Buddha? Yeah. The yes. Bitter Buddha. And uh, so that was a huge thing. Yeah. Louise did the documentary on the Cowsills, a family band. She's a filmmaker also. So um, we, we, we know. On the Cowsills. I don't know what that has to do with me, but this guy, <laughs> this guy, you know, approached me it, it, and asked me, I'd like to do a documentary on me. Who's because this guy? I started, his name is Steve Fine Arts, uh, who's a really good director in, in Hollywood now. Um, and Steve. Young guy, young, much younger than how, me. How young? Um, let's see. He's in his early thirties. Wow. Yeah, and but one of these guys, who is like just like, and I love people like this. So fucking early thirties. Like I remember when I was in my early thirties, I was a fucking mess. He's so mature, so cool, so smart, so even keeled. Blah blah mm. blah. And I knew he wanted to follow me around. Had he done other documentaries? Hmm? Had he made other documentaries? Uh, I think he had done a couple of documentaries uh, that were things he didn't want to be doing. Like, mm-hmm. I forget what it was. It was for a couple of networks. So, yeah, he had done a couple. Uh, they were for, I, I forget what they were for. But you were but something not he comedians. targeted and said, yeah, I yeah, want to do this. Yeah, he wanted to get into comedy. He was not into comedy yet. And, yeah, he targeted me. He had saw me. Mark Marin gave me. We were talking about Mark before the show. Mark, I started doing uh, WTF in its infancy when, when Mark was just getting big with WTF. I would do all the live shows, oh. and I would do the rants at the end of his shows. <laughs> I would rant. <laughs> Mark would say, all right, now Eddie Pepitone for uh, his thoughts on the day. And I would just go on and be insanely, uh, uh, I, would be, I would be insane talking about whatever happened to me that day, kind of what I do mm-hmm. a little bit with my stand-up, but even more heightened. And a lot of people got to know me from that because a lot of people were listening to WTF. Absolutely. And then when Mark got really big, he discarded me. <laughs> He's completely discarded me. You mean you weren't me. there when Obama was in his garage? <laughs> if I was, I would say, how come, Obama, you're bombing seven countries? <laughs> but so- Mark was asking him so- softball questions. Mm. So, uh, okay, so, so, so you came out here, things are going good, you're getting a lot of stuff, and so now a year and a half ago, the Conan thing stops, what do you, and, but you're doing love and you're doing other things that are sustaining you. Um, so what lies ahead? What, 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 what's ahead for Eddie Pepitone? What, what do you want? Well, what, uh, what's ahead? What do I want? Yeah, that's a great fucking, you know, that is the... $64,000 question. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I want? And I think, you know, what I want now is my own show. 
Okay. That's what I want because I hate Hollywood. I fucking hate it. And I, I, I really think it's a despicable, you know, the business, show mm-hmm. business is uh, just a despicable uh, shithole. There's a lot of people, not nice people in it, but it's a very star fuckery thing. And if you're not like on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, you're just at the whim of all these dipshits you know running shows and you know it's just i and so to me what you want to do if you're in the belly of the beast which mm-hmm. is what hollywood is is that you want your own you know you you want to be kind of the center of a show you and know? so what are you doing to that end are you i doing- am i am I, I i wrote one and i'm pitching it i'm pitching it now and i'm i'm Pitching it, they're being set up. I'm going to go to a lot of different networks with a lot with a couple of big people behind me, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, nice. So um, that's happening. You know, I I I want to. You know, I want to get my, I want to be, like, I want to go to the next level as a stand-up. Like, I really want to make, like, a big mark as a stand-up, a big mark. And what are you doing to that end? How do you An- Another that? Netflix special. Mm-hmm. Mm, and and I'm, what am I doing to that end? I'm performing five times a week. At- do, you, do you do, like, Vegas and stuff? No. No, I'm not a Vegas guy. Mm-hmm. No. God, no. <laughs> Oh God, those people! <laughs> just if you're in Vegas, just kill yourself. <laughs> I'm kidding. Actually, actually, it's so funny because I did a. It's so funny. Like I, I've gone to you know I've traveled all over now, including Europe. I, I, I've done runs in London. I've did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. I, you know, I, I I've toured in Norway, Sweden, cool. uh, Scotland, London. So that's been wild for mm-hmm. me. Um, but uh, it's wild that I've done like Orlando and Las Vegas, places that I would think were just shitholes, but they're always cool people there. There's always like a niche, a niche of really cool, mm-hmm. like hip, people but i am not a main i'm not i'll never be like a mainstream guy so getting i your know stand that up to the next level is like doing the netflix thing and then getting like a chris rock kind of tour and going out and doing theaters and stuff yeah yeah i think so something mm-hmm. along uh those lines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i i can see that in your future Definitely, I, I believe that if I believe that if you say you can get it, Eddie, <laughs> you can get it, uh, no matter what your father thinks about it. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. So, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything you do that you feel like that you hope nobody's watching, or, <laughs> or that nobody knows? Yeah, I I would say my guilty pleasure it's twofold. It's watching uh, superhero stuff like the flash wow and i'm not that kind of guy but my Mm -hmm. wife is a big comic book nerd and my other big thing is uh because i come up i come across as a big uh working class intellectual i'm always railing against uh i've been railing way before this trump thing Mm -hmm. i think it's hilarious that all of a sudden people are awake because donald trump is president i was railing against Mm -hmm. the corporate takeover of the united states you know for fucking years, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I saw I, me and lots of people saw this coming, but now all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh, oh, fascism!" Yeah, I'm like, "Yeah, no shit." And Trump is just a symptom, mm-hmm. you know. 
But uh, uh, so I come across as this working class intellectual. I'm saying all that to like say I also love like watching hockey. Like I'm a big hockey guy. I'm a big hockey fan. I'm a big New York. Like I love the Rangers in hockey. I love the Giants in football and the Yankees in baseball. And I kind of have a have guilt about like like doing that. You know what I mean? Like 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 just so into the games meanwhile i'm railing against the <laughs> inanity of the working class like like how how the working class is so duped by mainstream and media culture you know i think one reason the podcast podcasts have taken off is because people are so sick of hearing the same shit mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they're so sick podcasts better watch it if they get really popular they're going to get co-opted by corporate you know advertising and shit and they're going to become the same watered down shit that exists on television you know yeah I, yeah, I guess that's possible. Um, except there's not enough money to go around to all the people that are podcasting. So well, still I'm be... talking about the good ones. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. And, thank uh, you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm surprised. I, I I don't know why I'm surprised because I know you to be a thoughtful guy, but um, I had. I didn't realize that you were going to be as thoughtful, and I'm grateful for that. So thank, oh, you, thank you for for like taking off all the stuff and really getting re- getting re- getting down. Getting well, real. I, I hope I didn't reveal more than your other guests have revealed. No, not at yeah, all. It's that, too late. No, <laughs> no can it, Mark edit it out? <laughs> no, John, no, John. It's, I it's, mean, John. It, no, it's nothing about getting more real. It's just I'm that kidding. I I'm used to you being in a rant, so I I didn't know. <laughs> right, so I thought you were going to come on here. You were going to rant, and but I'm grateful that you no, you just sat and is, talked with me. Well, no, that's wonderful. Well, I mean, that's that that was the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. I adore you. I we adore asked you. you questions and you didn't body slam us. You it's successful. <laughs> right. Right. I think it's all legitimate, all this stuff about inner work. I mean, you know, like like uh, all that stuff is so is such a hard thing to do, you know, be an artist and make a living and, and deal with your uh, shit. So anyway, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Eddie. So easy. The the takeaway with Eddie is interesting for me because at first I thought I don't have a takeaway with Eddie, but I do, because in spite of what he said about the the touchy feely stuff about my whole theory, he knew exactly what he. There was only one thing he ever wanted to do. Right. I mean, yeah, he wanted he wants to be a playwright, but it's all kind of related. But he there was never any thought of anything except show business, and he did what he. He is meticulous. I mean, the fact that when he was saying that a lot of the stand-ups say, oh, I'm a stand-up, but they don't do stand-up. I've known Eddie for, oh my gosh, I've known Eddie probably for close to 20 years, and Eddie always has done stand-up and does it all the time. You know what I think might be one of the keys to success is that even if you're a creative and you're insecure about a lot of yourself, Mm -hmm. you're super confident about one thing. And he is super confident about how funny he is and how how he can kill a crowd. And he knows he can do that. So he may, you know, go to a shrink and talk about the other aspects of being alive. But he knows he's that. Well, he knows to a degree. I mean, he was also the one throwing up in the bathroom before every set. Yeah, but I think he meant when he was starting out. Well, yeah, I, I I think that's probably true, and I and I agree with you. I Eddie does know he's funny. There's no doubt that he knows he's funny, and and. 
I think this all ties back and everything connects to kind of what Jeremy was trying to get me to, which is that self-belief and that knowledge that if we have that, if we know that, there are no limits. That does remove. So as much as Eddie thinks there that he gets in his own way, he also creates his destiny too as well. I mean, he's made all this shit happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. He don't, he knows in his heart that he is hilariously funny. He, is he may wonder, you know, do, did I present my, did I do, did I do well or could I have done better a, a little bit? He may wonder why Conan doesn't call anymore, but mm-hmm. he's also, he also gets that that's part of life and that probably had nothing to do with him. Yeah, I, I love the fact that he really yeah. didn't take it personal. I mean, he did it, he didn't in a little what about Conan was probably just sick of it. Why are you always yelling at me? But, but he didn't. He didn't suffer. He's not suffering it like he did something wrong. The thing about show business is they don't call you and say, "Hey, that was a great run. Thank you so much. We're going in a different direction." They just don't call you. Yeah. Right. So you have to make up that part, and I think he has. I, I think he's done a really good job with that. And and I I had a point. I was going to say something that that now that that's that that I've lost, but. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I was at the beginning of the show. I was saying how, oh, God, you're going to see Eddie's like the funniest guy on the planet. And what we got was a really thought. I mean, he was funny in, in innumerable times during the interview, but the conversation. But but he was very thoughtful. He and- was thoughtful, Eddie. And I think the great thing about this show is like, let's say someone's maybe a serious actor. Mm-hmm. They could come on here and be funny. Right. So that we, we get to see... Jim it. Beaver did, did it. Right, you know? because people are more than one thing. Right. And so they get to come here and reveal another part of themselves. Which is so great. I love when he said, oh, you mean other people don't come on and do this? <laughs> it was just that it wasn't what, what I was expecting. I had this thing that he was going to come on and he was going to start ranting at us. And I and I love the... F- and he had a couple of those moments, but I love the fact that he was willing to just be real. Um, because a lot of comics, I... I you know, I was married to one and was around them and booked them. And you, you are a comic. You come from comedy. A lot of comics can never take that off. They can never stop. They, they can't ever, they can't ever be real. They have really struggle with it. it especially when there's a mic on. I, I, yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. And even in life, a lot of them are just always on. So I really appreciated that, that Eddie was so thoughtful with us and, and talking about the Buddhism and all of that. And, uh, uh, having that conversation, I got a lot out of today. Um, he was real, real. He was real, real, and I and I'm really grateful the conversation we had at the top um, about um, about letting go and about um, because you know what, I walked in here with a lot of baggage on my shoulders. I walked in here sad and with a heaviness from what I went through. And when we started the show, I know I think you were feeling the same way. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I feel pretty great right now. I feel good too. I feel lifted and that's what this does. That's what communication does. That's what creativity does. That's what connection to other people does. And um, focusing on someone else enables me to stop thinking about myself, which we just did for about an hour and a half and it was fabulous. Yeah, we ask other people to take the journey. And 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 taking that road together someone else yes it's just a great thing i feel wonderful so thanks for doing this with me louise and for all of you out there um fresh shows every tuesday mind the archives and um we'll have an announcement for you real soon about uh, you'll be able to look at our 
our pretty faces soon. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> we'll be going live. So. I have to wear a bra. Yeah, you, well, well, we'll shoot you from the neck up or something. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, we are a radio-free podcast here whenever you are, so come on back anytime. Good night. The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. <laughs> <laughs>